So hello everyone and welcome to episode 197 of Longbox Heroes After Dark, the soon-to-be-named movie club, Roman numeral 8, Hudson Hawk. But we have other stuff to discuss here as well, other housekeeping, After Darky type business. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, oh, like three big news items. Well, one I have to double check on even before we start recording. So, uh, Todd... As I guess yes. a spinoff of a previous episode of Long Box Heroes After Dark, the one that kicked everything off, the film, I don't want to say great film, but the film, Bronco Billy, you got some listener mail recently regarding that, did you not? Yes, I did. I got a package sent to Todd Roker, care of comics on the green, um, because I guess nobody knew who, where my address is, and I like it that way. I'm a, I, I like to just hunker down in the shadows. Mm-hmm. But uh, my it was a it was a record a vinyl record of the Bronco Billy soundtrack with a note that just said enjoy in a font like the uh, Western font on the record, um and I think there was initials in the corner but I'm not 100 percent sure because it's just like scratch scratch so I don't know if they were trying to give me their initials but the, my favorite part was the uh, return address Joe mm-hmm. was Motorpool. Army Chaplain's Assistant School, Fort Wadsworth, Staten Island, New York, with the zip code, which apparently is something which was a real fort, but was something out of G.I. Joe, too, when me and somebody else Googled this address. Oh. So I don't know uh, what's going on. Um, I don't know who it's from. Um, is it from you, Joe? No. Okay, because I know you like to spend your hard-earned money on uh, – Bronco Billy merch and pizzas, but uh, so good lord. I just, but I am really, and I know this all sounds jokey. It is leading up to it, but whoever sent me the Bronco Billy record, it is really cool, and I thank you. And uh, I'd like to know who it was, unless it's going to be super anonymous, like you know how some people are. But thank you very much. Right. So yeah, if you want to make it public, if you want to contact Todd privately, uh, you know, you could send him a DM or whatever. Now, Todd, I have to ask you, uh, did the record come okay? Like, did you check the record to make sure that it was okay? I, I understand that the uh, post office sometimes can damage records. Um, I, I I did open it up and I took the record out. Everything seems fine. There wasn't even any like dents or anything in the uh, the packaging, like right. the sleeve. So it's it's a nice copy. Like I don't own a record player, and I'm anti-vinyl of the whole uh, vinyl sounds better than digital because I just think that's impossible. You gotta um, hear those hisses and pops and shit, man. <laughs> I was waiting for you to throw the man on the end, but there is there. I will admit there is nothing re- better than holding records in your hand and like the artwork. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like when C- with CDs and like when tapes especially came out and they were much smaller and CDs like I think that lost a lot of it. There was a lot of great album artwork and this just pops because it's got the like Bronco Billy poster on the front, which is an amazing poster, and then it has Mer- uh, Merle Haggard and Ronnie Millsap on the on the on the front. I mean, how much better? Yet now I just have to find a way. I think our good buddy DJ has uh, has the ability to uh, play to record records oh like okay a, a, a usb input to something with the record player because i actually want the to the whole soundtrack to play but like i said i'm not buying a record player uh, but i like this i'm actually probably going to at least display this somewhere probably 
in my house because it's Bronco Billy, one of the greatest films ever made. Hmm. Sassafras. No, because I heard on another – the only reason I ask is I heard on another podcast that uh, someone who had a the a 45, a record single – Mm-hmm. mailed to them of the Vicky Sue Robinson junkyard dog hit Grab Them Cakes. I think there's a lot that's wrong with that sentence, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so uh, they did get the package, but the they also got shards of vinyl, as it was apparently like stomped on at the post mm. office. So it's that stepped on vinyl? Yes. Okay. I, I stomped the beans myself. <laughs> Uh-huh. Percolation is eminent. So thank you very much. You know, we have good listeners. We have great listeners, I would say. The ones that send Todd stuff are good listeners. The ones that send or give me stuff are great listeners. Uh, now, let me ask, because we discussed this on Twitter. You don't you don't want to, like, co-own this record, right? Where you get... It's yeah, like, I want we'll, the B-side. You want... Uh, we have to do it like Radioactive Man. Right. <laughs> to, the The first issue, we have to share it. That's what we'll do. But only th- we don't have to do it three ways, only two ways. But like I said, you get side A and I get side B, and I think that's fair. All right, let me look at the back and see which side has the uh, – uh, all right, side one has the Clint Eastwood version of the song. So I'll take side A. Okay. Right. See, I offered to take B because I know mm-hmm. – Because Clint ain't no B guy. Let's right. just say that. Now, just another one in passing. I know I'd mentioned it last week, but sadly I was informed – that my big uh, midweek to-do going out to the drive-in to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre in pieces has been postponed indefinitely. Right. I think, like, a, they're, they wised up, to tell you oh. the truth. I, I certainly hope that it wasn't canceled for lack of interest. What? I lack said, of interest? No. I just... I. I don't know these folks. Apparently, they've run uh, other like double feature horror type things at this drive-in before, but in the middle of the week, just seemed like an odd time to do it. And they haven't given a reason for the postponement or a new date yet. Uh, but mm-hmm. I will keep uh, both my eyes peeled for more information on that, and I will disseminate it to you, the listeners here, as it becomes available. I made some phone calls as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like you have the, the power. I got some clout, baby. Mm-hmm. You, I think you mispronounced that you have the gout. <laughs> well, I do have puffy ankles. So. Hey, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> as has been a running theme, and we're going to get to Hudson Hawk here shortly, I promise. I can't wait. Oh, this... how, Listen, saving it for the show. You made a remark on Twitter the other day that I was going to whack you for talking about that sort of thing. Oh, I don't remember what I said, but go ahead. Um... My ankle didn't uh, puff up this summer. It, it was the one day where it felt like it was gonna. <laughs> uh, but I made it through the entire summer without uh, any sort of untowardness or s- intense pain in my left uh, foot and ankle. Mm, lack of uh, sh- shellfish, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you know, I was good for my shrimp fried rice uh, once a week. I love shrimp fried rice. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, delicious. It is. Can't go wrong with that. But the other thing I want to mention, uh, you know, and of course we gave the actual plug for it on the main show this week, but boy, howdy, ESPN really uh, fouled up the site for the pigskin pickums this year, huh? Yeah, they did. 
So I, 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 I had some time on Saturday because Todd, because I thought I did it on the show last week because Todd's like, it's as easy as one, two, eleven steps. No, that's only if you're signing up. Right. You were re-signing up and you messed it up. No, no. I, I, I clicked on a thing that said rejoin. And when I clicked on the thing that said rejoin, I assumed that I rejoined. And mm-hmm. then Todd the next day said, hey, you claimed you rejoined. You didn't. And I'm like, okay. Let me look into this. So it just put me into a never-ending loop of attempting to rejoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened was because of the changeover of the site and the changeover of the link and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. It made me reassign to my my profile my username. Right. Even though I was choosing the same username, it wouldn't let me rejoin until I reassign my username. It wouldn't okay. let me reassign my username until I attempted to join a new group that I had not previously been in. Oh, okay. It wasn't giving me the pop. Like, it was just putting me, like, in an infinite loop. That it's like, here are the two groups you were in last year. Do you want to rejoin? And I would click rejoin, and then it would take me to the next screen, and it would show me in the in the picking, in the, in the lineup, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I would go to do the other group, it would say rejoin for the other group. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it just hasn't caught up. Sometimes you got to refresh these things. So it was just like this infinite loop, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. So then I'm like, well, maybe there's something wrong with the groups. So let me just try, like, adding myself to a random group. So I just, like, pulled up whatever group I could. I put the request through to join, and it said, before you could join a group, is this the screen name that you want to use again? Which was not popping up for me previously. Mm-hmm. So I chose that as the screen name that I wanted to use. And then it said, do you want to send the request to join this group? And I said, no. So then I went and I hit rejoin to the other groups and it went through. Right. And you use words big 80s, right? Right. Has anyone assigned themselves as words big 80s yet? I just looked and I didn't see anybody. Okay. Because I think we're almost at 30 people so far. Uh, I think I counted last counting us. I think there was 25 and there's some great names, by the way. Well, we, we we talked about the names on the main show. Oh, that's right. right. I forgot. Wibbly wobbly. Did you forget? I always forget. Mm-hmm. So, right. let's get into the meat of the show, Todd. And I always forget how this goes because we only do it once a month, and I have the memory capacity of a goldfish. Um, what we do is, if I pick the movie, you describe the plot. If you pick the movie, I describe the plot. Okay. And then you, we each, you know, chime, like if you chime in as we see fit as right. it goes along. You tend to chime in more than I do because you're a talker and I'm a listener. The 1991 smash, uh, Hudson Hawk. Now, I just want to say before you get into the description of the film mm-hmm. and I interrupt you. I did way more research on this movie than I've done on anything else that we've talked about so far. Oh, goody. I was worried you weren't gonna. Go ahead. All right. So you want me to start now? Yes. All right. So the movie starts out. It's 1481. And we get the the backstory of that Leonardo da Vinci has been uh, he has to build a statue of this giant horse, and that there it's going to be bronze, but there's a shortage of bronze, so he decides that he's going to become an alchemist, and he designs this machine that is going to change bronze uh, lead into bronze they're thereby fixing his problem so he has this big steampunk leonardo da vinci thing that has this 
I want to call it like star in it, this pointed thing, which is important. And he ends up, you know, putting the, the lead codex. machine. The codex. No, the codex is the, uh, isn't the codex the? The book. Okay. The book. Yes. Right. So I'm just going to call it the uh, star, the mirror star throughout this thing. I think they even call it a crystal at one point, but it really doesn't make any fucking sense. But so they, they put it in, he puts it in, and it turns out that it changes lead to gold. So he ends up thinking about it and he ends up taking the, the star apart into three pieces. And while he's doing this, he's thinking about it. He's realizing he has to finish the Mona Lisa photo because the smile is missing. And he get he's the, the Mona Lisa models there and she smiles and she's got the, the, the best smile in the history of the world. So he's like, ugh. You're like, oh, her teeth are terrible. I'm going to finish this later. So I wonder if she used a, he used a tooth model to finish the rest of his, uh, his famous portrait. Um, but he ends up, uh, splitting up the pieces. We'll find out about all that later. And at the end of this, he ends up pushing a unwilling servant off a cliff in a plane. Uh, his, he's testing whether or not a, something can fly, a glider can fly. One of his flying ends, machines, sure. Yes, and he ends up, you know, at actually flying. So he didn't, he didn't murder his assistant, which was, was fantastic. So um, two things I just want to mention about this sequence here. Right. One, uh, so we go about five minutes into the movie, mm-hmm. outside of the narrator, where everyone is speaking Italian with no subtitles. Right. Except for inexplicably, everyone in this film who speaks Italian knows the word gold. Right. Also, the guy on the donkey is just a guy on a donkey. Right. That was one of them, I guess, I'm going to use air quote jokes that are in this movie. <laughs> All right. There's actually two jokes in this movie. We'll get to them. Oh, one did you write them down? I'll, I'll, I'll see if they match up with the ones I have in my head. Okay, right? So now cut to, like, you know, what is it, 500 years later? Right. To uh, Hudson Hawk is is getting out of prison. For You know, he's he's the best of cat burglary or whatever the, the, the fuck they're called. The narrator's calling. Which then after this, the narrator just disappears. Until the end of the movie. Right, which, which I love. Is either have a narrator or don't. Um, but the narrator just up and disappears after this. Well, it's for the framing so, sequence of the film. Come on. Fra- framing, shaming, whatever. So, uh, he goes and he's getting his property as, as, uh, criminals do before they get, they get out of prison. And, uh, apparently the, pro- the guy who runs the property department of this prison is an ancestor, is a, is a descendant of Mona Lisa. <laughs> Cause they have terrible teeth. And I was like, oh. And by the way, if you ever want to watch Hudson Hawk with somebody, Joe, yes, watch it with Matt because Matt has deep theories throughout this movie. Like he'll be dropping stuff about the guards. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. The guards in the Louvre rep- or in the Italian uh, museum represent the guards at the auction house. They're just different Italian versions. And it's like I'm watching this movie and I'm going way too deep. For Hudson Hawk. Well, so, Matt, the world famous for many times mentioned bassist from the comic mm-hmm. book shop. He was on our Denny's Star Wars episode as well. Uh, but I, I would like to see this. I would like to compare notes on this film with Matt. Right. So you re- you really need to do that. So, um, 
So he's getting out of prison. His parole officer is ta- walking and talking with him as he's he's leaving the prison. And the police, uh, the parole officer wants him to rob an auction house, or he's going to, um, you know, set him up. He's like, I could set you back up with. I'm your parole officer. You'll go right back to jail. You have to do this. And he's like, I don't have to do anything. Leave me the fuck alone. And he he walks out of prison. As he's walking out of prison, um, a car backfires and. Uh, Eddie Hudson Hawk's buddy, uh, what's his name? Tommy Five Count picks him up. <laughs> Tommy Five Count, King Kong Bundy's son. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. Uh, to- uh, Tommy Five Note, aka uh, Danny Aiello. So now, just so you know, all my notes have uh, Five Count in it, and I'm not changing them now. So I was gonna say because we, I, I, even though the movie is Hudson Hawk and he's Hudson Hawk, it's Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello in this movie. Right. Oh, there's gonna be a lot of. They like, don't have Bruce- character names. Right. So immediately, like, uh, he, he gets, he, Aiello gets there and immediately, uh, Bruce Willis is just fat shaming the hell out of Tony Aiello right out of the gate, <laughs> making fun of him. So I'm like, okay. So they, he gets in the car and they start driving. Hang on, and there's I a whole... to... No, compared to the guards, you're a slender reed. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but. That's in my notes too when we get there. Is that um, one of the jokes? Yeah, yeah. So, so he's going. He's like, "Oh, you want to bone chicks, or you want to do that? You want to, you know?" And he's just doing all these, you know, in, innuendos, except for the one that he says, "Do you want to play Nintendo?" Which is interesting because then later the Mario bro- Brothers show up. But anyway, well, this so, g- this game had a famously terrible uh, NES video game tie-in. You mean this movie? This movie, yes, yes. This movie had a famously bad NES game. Was it as bad as E.T.'s tie-in hmm. game? E.T., while convoluted, mm-hmm. when you think about the resources available and the timetable that they were under, mm-hmm. is not as bad as a game. It's fun to rag on that as a bad game. Like this, the Hudson Hawk NES game is a bad video game. A year prior, the Total Recall NES game, that's a bad video game. Okay. Those were shameless tie-ins where they knew, like, months in advance, where I think the turnaround time on E.T. was, I could be wrong, it was less than eight weeks. Okay. It was like, Uh, this like, it's October, this game needs to be in stores by Christmas. Get cracking. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Hudson Hawk. Right. So he's driving in the car, and he he's like, "Oh, all I want is a cappuccino." And he's like, "You're still like those fruity, you know, Italian th- coffees." Co- he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, look what I got you. The man knows." And now I know the quality of acting I'm going to get throughout this movie. Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis are terrible. Oh. Just terrible, you right? Say, you and, say that only because we haven't gotten to the Sandra Bernhardt scenes yet, but go ahead. <laughs> right? So, so he's like, and then they say, he tells him about uh, the, the parole officer, and he wants to, he's like, uh, taking it in the year for a beer, this asshole, and I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god, right? So he ends up hitting the brakes real hard, and the cappuccino goes everywhere. So Bruce Willis doesn't get his cappuccino. Ha 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 ha, Joe, a joke. That's um, a running gag throughout the film. Oh, is it a running gag? I hadn't <laughs> noticed. Um, 
So five count takes him to the bar that they, that they own or whatever. And it's because, and he's like, he's already, Bruce Willis is already to be like at the bar that he loves. And it's now all upscale. Some like stockbrokers came in and they turned like, you know, they brought a new clientele in and it's all nice. And can you believe it? Five count took down Captain Bob's steering wheel. Now of all the things in the movie, I want to know about Captain Bob's steering wheel. Well, remember he came in that night with the wheel and nobody knew how he got it? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, there should be, like, the Ford Fairlane prequel comic. There should be a Hudson Hawk prequel comic about Captain Bob's steering wheel. Okay. So now he's at the bar and there's goat cheese, reindeer goat cheese fucking pizza, which is, you know, another slight running gag. I'm going to air quote gags. Huh. Right? Now I want to say you say it has the upscale clientele. The the five note became a hipster bar before becoming a hipster bar was becoming a hipster was becoming a was it ah it became a hipster bar before becoming a hipster bar was a thing. Therefore, it became a hipster bar before becoming a hipster bar became cool. You were so happy to trash hipsters there. You couldn't fucking talk. No, I was so excited. (laughs) Oh, we don't any, say the eighth word around here, by the way. Any oh, any <laughs> events in Chicago this weekend I could bash on as well? I'm super excited. Oh, boy. So he's now he's he's let's have another cappuccino. They slide a cappuccino down. He's going to drink it. And all of a sudden you hear a silencer and a shot and, and the, 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 the coffee breaks. Ha ha ha. Bruce Willis doesn't get his second cappuccino. I wonder what the last scene of this fucking movie is going to be, Joe. <laughs> I wonder. I can't imagine. It's an hour and ten minutes away from now. I can't even begin to fathom what the end of this movie is going to be like. Can you fucking believe it? Yeah, (laughs) I can! Right? So, it turns out that the Mario brothers are in the, in the, in the, the bar. And, uh, I don't know which Mario it is. It doesn't matter. It's not Frank Stallone Mario. Right. So he shoots it and they're all like, ha ah. ha ha. So they invite him over and he tells him he's got to rob the thing or he's going to end up, you know, he's not going to take him to trial. He's going to murder him, blah, blah, blah. And Danny Aiello comes out and smacks not Frank Stallone in the head with a wine bottle. And they leave and the, the parole officer. So you're seeing it's all coming together. Do this job or you're going to die. Right. Now I just want to, I just want to throw in there crowded bar. Even though the gun has a silencer on it, it is a huge fucking gun that from across the bar, he shoots a coffee cup with pinpoint accuracy and not a single patron in the bar reacts. Well, it's the it's the five count bar. That happens all the time. I guess. So, they you know, it's later in the night. They're in the back of the they're somewhere in the bar, I guess. And they're discussing us. songs and their lengths for Mm -hmm. no apparent reason. So uh, that goes on for a while. And then he just realizes he has to do the heist or, you know, he's, he's toast. So they're going to go through it, that they're going to go to the auction house. And, but to get to the auction house, they dress up as pool boys and they go to the building next door. And apparently it's a gym or whatever. And they go up to the, to the pool. And this isn't one of the two jokes, but I did appreciate this one is that they were going to steal the horse. And he's like, Hey, look at this. Uh, there's a sign here that says no horse play. <laughs> They're going to steal a horse. So that's, that's brilliant writing right there. Um, 
So to break in, they decide to use a rope with a one of those uh, life like ring preservers on it. They throw it across. They go across once again. Uh, Bruce Willis starts fat shaming Danny Aiello as they're going across. And then they get across and Danny Aiello throws the ring back. And he's like, oh, why? Because we, I'm we're going to go out a different way because why, you know, that's going to hide our tracks or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this isn't going to come back to bite him in the ass whatsoever. So they cut they cut a, a hole in the window, but they have to make sure it's big. So Dan because Danny Aiello is wearing his girdle. So he'll he'll be all right. Um so then they get into the... Yeah, I better make the hole a little bit bigger. Yep. Yeah, oh, it's okay. I'm wearing my girdle. So they, they, they do the whole, uh, like I said, window cut with the machine. So then they get in, they cut to the some of the guards. And this is where the first uh, joke hits, Joe. I knew, the, I knew you'd appreciate this one. <laughs> so one guard says to the other... Did you know there's 673 Wongs in the phone book? And the other guy says, that's a hell of a lot, a hell of, a lot of Wong numbers. And then, and I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I'm like, that's a Todd joke. Now, I just want to finish and you can do whatever you want. So then he goes, look up chins. And then all you hear is that, that uh, stereotypical Chinese music. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my god! Well, you got the gong in there too. You hear the, oh yeah, you get the gong and then the music. Yep, it's just oh, which is always takes me back to Galifianakis, the comedian right. who did that joke. He because he'd play a piano during his stand-up, and it always ma- made me laugh. He said every time my my Chinese friend would come in the room while I was practicing the piano, I would go dun 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 on the piano, and, and my friend would go, "Why do you always play that?" And he's like, "Cause I don't own a gong." It's like, and I'm like, oh, we need more of that in in movies. Again, a completely throwaway nothing line that has nothing to do with anything, uh, which is, not to spoil anything, 95% of this film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, go ahead, go ahead, continue. Right, so then they get in there and... Uh, Danny Aiello has come up with this brilliant idea that he's got to do the looped videotape trick that nobody's ever seen. I guess Bruce Willis doesn't know that trick because he's been in jail for 10 years. Right, what's Nintendo? <laughs> right, but it's rocket science, so so he's going to do it. So while, the, while they're there, we find out Big Stan is the guard who's going to sleep on this blue chair in front of the safe that the horse is in. Um, so they decide that they have... Five minutes and thirty-two seconds to do this, to do this, uh, this heist. So they decide to sing "Swinging on a Star," which is earlier in the movie when they're just you know discussing musics and their lengths. Instead of using a watch, because even Danny Aiello says, "Oh well, you know, instead of doing it this way, we could do it with a watch." He's like, "No." So they sing the songs, and they know how long, you know, like, to, to hit their marks or whatever. So, and now I have to admit, this is an interesting, you know, what do I want to call it, gimmick for the movie, um, except for the fact that I have to listen to Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello sing. <laughs> right? So I'm like, beautiful gimmick, but I forgot that Bruce Willis was such a megalomaniac at this time and oh. henceforth that he thought he could fucking sing. And he sings, is swinging on a, and it's terrible. It's just god awful. He and kind of whisper talks it, it where, where Danny Aiello is really belting it out like he's, 
<laughs> like he's auditioning for American Idol or something. And listen, I think Danny Aiello is a fantastic actor. I think he's a funny man. And I think he's at best a D-plus singer. What? Oh, a D-plus? D-plus. Uh, yeah, he's just, he, there's a lot of D in this movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um... So, uh, so that's going on. They're, they're, they're doing the thing, doing the crime and the guards start figuring it out because it's on the loop, but they, they broke the, uh, big stand broke the chair earlier. So they're like, Oh, the chair's back and we're in the hallway. So that must be on a loop. So, uh, the guards figure it out and they start chasing them and now they can't go out the way that they planned. So they have to go back out the window that they cut, but now the rope's no longer there. So they have to, you know, figure out another way. And this is when Danny Aiello decides to figure to fat shame Big Stan <laughs> and be like, I'm not that fat, right? And he's oh, you're a slender what, what was the joke? He goes, Compared to him, you're a slender reed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's where the jokes and the timing. Oh, I'm sorry. Jokes, let me get my air quotes up, you know, really, really stand out. So they decide to jump off the roof into this awning. And when they do, it has one of the worst movie cuts in history. Because oh. I'm not sure if he fell through the awning and then fell through the ground into the, this apartment. I, I get what they're trying to do, but it's really dumb. It's really dumb, the whole cut that they do. So he's in the apartment with the, with the Mario Brothers. Uh, so, the, uh, real, real quick, I just want to make a note of this right there, that moment where they both jump off the building, they both hit the awning, and then you get that smash cut to him landing in the chair inside the apartment. Right. For me, that's the moment where this movie completely loses, it just comes off the rails. Okay, honestly, the movie comes off the rails a little later for me. Okay, because, okay, we'll, we'll talk more about it, but I just want to mention that for me. I remembered that happening, but then when I watched it, you know, for this, and it happened, I was just like, oh boy, that's really, all right, that's an interesting choice by the people in charge of this film, but go ahead. Right, so, um, at this point, there, what, who did I say, the, the, the parole Mario, officer? Uh, Frank, uh, Frank Stallone, the other guy, and the parole officer. Not Frank officer. Stallone. <laughs> it's, it's not, the... listen, I know the gag is the Mario Brothers. But it's Frank Stallone. Right. And not Frank Stallone. I don't know who that actor is. It don't matter. Is. So, right. So they're there along with the with the parole officer. And a James Bond villain uh, butler shows up. Mm -hmm. And he comes in and he gets the horse and he's like, thank you. And he ends up smashing it. And inside is one of the pieces of the mirror star thing so they take it and they end up you know the the, the pro officers bitching about what's going on so he ends up the butler ends up pulling out one of the assassin creed knives from the video games in his uh sleeve somehow and cuts his throat because he gets a cut or whatever and that's the joke cut you cut his throat and he's like oh the guy dies and they're like oh well maybe hudson hawk wants a cut and they he does they don't kill him they let him go i i'm, I'm not really sure so he goes back to the bar and Danny Aiello is there and he comes walking in and he goes to get a cappuccino, Joe. And the cappuccino machine blows up in his face. So Wait, he you, forgot, you forgot the joke though, Todd. What? How did everything oh, yeah. go? He asks me, how did everything go? 
Uh, what should we call it? Uh, the Mario Brothers take the thing. He asks me how everything goes. Some guy shows up and cuts the throat of the parole officer. He asks me how everything goes. Did you go up to Mrs. Lincoln that night at Ford Theater and say, oh, how is, I missed the show. How do, how was it or whatever it was? There was mm-hmm. a joke there. Right. Yeah, there, there was. I mean, I guess in the legal definition, there was a joke there. Um, so as he's talking about it, Danny Aiello knows the name of the the horse that they stole. And he's like, because the paper says that there was an attempted robbery last night and that it, it, they, the, 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 the super duper cop guards stopped it and everything. So Bruce Willis is like, what? Like, no, like I have very few things in this world. I, st- I, I stole that. I don't know what's going on. My rep, I'm going to go, figure out what's happening. So he goes to the auction house for their horsey auction, all things horsey. Um, so while he's there, he meets Andy McDowell who, and, uh, is her name McDowell? Last name. I get confused. Uh, yes. Right. Who's playing Anna. So we're going to, I'm Andy McDowell. Uh, she's there. And then this is when the first of many shitty flirting acting happens. And they're going back and forth, and it's absolutely terrible. Um, but then uh, Bruce Willis looks around, and he notices these various people all eating candy bars. Right. All oh, right, so, so Wait, you, so you mentioned about the bad flirting, right? So here's Hudson Hawk. He's supposed to be this cool guy, this mm-hmm. whole thing, right? And when he and Andy McDowell are talking to each other, and he does the bit where he looks away and bites on his finger. Mm-hmm. Any cool that this character had out the window. What are you saying? All, all the trust we've built up with this is gone now. Yes, and there's been okay. a lot of trust. He sings mm. "Swinging on a Star" while uh, riding a little skateboard through the revolving door. <sighs> no, he uh, speaks singing uh, "Swinging on a Star" <laughs> <laughs> as he rides a little skateboard. Um, so while they're there, uh, they, he's shit, shitty flirting with. Uh, uh, and Andy McDowell, and he finds out that she's actually an appraiser for the Vatican, Vatican, and she's got to go up and and authentic do authentic uh, whether the horse is authentic or not. So she gets up there and, and oh the tension, the tension. She's like, "Yep, this is it. You know, it's a beautiful piece." And um, oh, because I don't know if I, if I mentioned it when you you know you started talking. There's a group of people all eating different candy bars. Uh, there's so I and right there, Joe. I'm going to say b- begins the, one of the few things I like in this movie. I'm just going to say candy. Right? Yes, I do love candy. So at this point, they they start bidding on they start bidding on the horse, um, and that's when uh, uh, is his name Alan E. Grant shows up. Robert and- E. Grant. Robert E. Grant. I have Alan Grant. He was in Jurassic Park. It was Alan Grant. Robert E. Grant. Um, as uh, Darwin Mayflower. Yes. Comes in. Richard bids E. Grant. On the, My apologies. Uh, Richard E. Grant. R- Richard E. Grant? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I have that right. Um, Richard E. Grant. My my notes were fast and furious while I was taking, watching this movie. So he comes in as, as Darwin Mayflower and he bids $10 million on on the, the horse. And then in comes Minerva Mayflower who bids $10 million and one penny. And he's hoisted by his own, his love. And they're like wagging tongues at each other. All right. 
Here's the second thing I like about this movie. Because at this point, and all scenes future, Sandra Bernhardt and Richard E. Grant are the Joker and Harley Quinn. Okay. Honest to God, uh, if... And I know it's a dumbed down, goofy version, but if you, if at that time they had pegged Richard Grant to play the Joker, he looks just like the Luke Ross ver- a cover of Harley Quinn and the Joker from that, like her first appearance in DC Comics. Uh, Alex just, Ross. Alex Ross. We're all I'm over sorry. the place with names, getting them wrong here. Right. Well, it's Hudson Hawk, so everything's wrong already. Um, so. Just I just look at it as like he would have made a great uh, Joker in his time, um, and he's just stealing. You know, just they're just chewing scenery. And uh, Richard Grant is a great actor. Sandra Bernhardt, not so much. But I don't care because the shit that they say, I'm at, I I actually I'm having fun with. So while they're you know that's going on, then there's an explosion during the auction. But uh, the Mayflowers know it's coming and they duck so it goes off there's all this stuff going on the one of the guards recognize hudson hawk um to fat stan big stan or whatever so it's just chaos um and through this this he's uh bruce willis saves andy mcdowell from from a pillar falling on her and he gets hit in the head with a horsey thing and he gets knocked out so he wakes up he's in an ambulance going somewhere and the Mario brothers, uh, Frank Sloan and not Frank Sloan are in the back of it. And they're like, Oh, like you should have just walked away. Uh, we're not subtle, but we did have a, a way out of this. And at this point, Bruce Willis grabs a thing of syringes and hits not Frank Sloan in the face with them. And I will admit this is a funny visual gag as he has all the like dangling needles in his face. And, uh, Bruce Willis ends up getting pushed out of the back of the ambulance on the gurney, but he's still attached by, you know, a, a sheet or something like that. So he's he's driving behind, and then they do all these stupid things. Like he gets somebody throws a cigarette out the window, and he grabs it and he's like, "Ugh, a menthol," and throws it away. And then the sheet rips, and somebody asks him if he's gonna die, and he's like, "Oh my god, um, how's my driving? One eight hundred. I'm gonna fucking die." And then he's coming up on a toll booth and he needs exact change or he's going to hit the, 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 the stop thing, like the arm that comes down. So he throws change in the, in the exact change thing and it goes up. And so the Mario brothers are chasing him in the ambulance now. And, uh, Frank Sloan's like, get him, get him, get him. And the not Frank Sloan comes to the front of the ambulance, but he has all the needles in his face. So he, he scares the hell out of the driver and his brother and the, Ambulance flips over, bursts into flames before it hits, and in mid flip, yeah, in mid flip lands. And it did you notice where it landed in front of the Collisionville, like uh, just like stupid garage or something like that? I'm like, oh, this is this is pretty bad. So uh, as he's rolling past, Bruce Willis is like, oh, Mario Brothers, are you okay? I'm worried about you. Blah blah blah. But then he gets stopped. By David Caruso, who is name is Kit Kat, and we know this because he hands him a card with "My name is Kit Kat, and you're not dreaming on it." 
Um, and then we meet the rest of the group. We meet Snickers. We meet Almond Joy, who at the, the quality of the gags, and this is uh, jokes, I'm surprised they didn't name her Mounds. Gotcha. I'm like, what? Like, that's a, that's a joke on the, on par for the quality of this movie. How come you didn't do it? Then comes the greatest character in the history of a Hudson Hawk movie <laughs> is Butterfinger. Butterfinger is my absolute favorite thing in this whole movie, Joe. I looked him up. I was worried he was going to be a shitty wrestler. Oh, he's a shitty football player, ain't he? You know, uh, Matt told me he was a shitty uh, bodybuilder. So, I don't know. But he's done other stuff. And do you know anything else that he's done, Joe? He was... He was in a fan film. He was Lobo in the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. Oh, my goodness. Which I think should be our Christmas movie. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, I knew I knew this guy. Yeah. Get the hell out of here. So uh, this guy also was Zangief in the Street Fighter movie starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he was also Leatherface. In the uh, first of many shitty Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes. I'll take your word for that. Oh, get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So... But it's I've, in this movie, uh, the actor Andrew Benarski, when you can't get Brian Bosworth... <laughs> you can't get the Boz finger, you get the butter finger. Oh, and he's from Philly, he's a local boy. Oh, uh, maybe we can get him on the show. We gotta try that. Um, so at this point, James Coburn shows up, and he's uh, he's he's a, he's from a you know a group. He's from the CIA, and he calls these people the MTVIA, which is another great air quotes joke in this movie. Well, and he's Alman Joy mentions previously they were all named after diseases. Imagine going through a year of your life being nicknamed chlamydia. Air quotes, chlamydia. Oh, come on. So, so we find out that this character was the one who, under a different face, had used, uh, had, uh, Hudson Hawk's, uh, Bruce Willis' character sent off to prison for a robbery. Um, so they drug Bruce Willis and ship him off to Italy in a box filled with, uh, foam, styrofoam peanuts. He wakes up in front of in a building in front of the Coliseum, and that's how we know he's in he's in Rome. Um, that's when uh, the James Bond Butler shows up, takes him to Alan Grant's uh, car, who has it's a car with a fax machine that you just take a fax right out of and then put it in the shredder, and the shredder shoots the paper out of the back of the car, which I think all cars should have. Which is, which all, all cars stuff. So we find out, uh, Alan Grant. I keep calling him Alan Grant. Jesus Christ. Uh, Richard Grant. Um, so we find out Richard Grant's the villain. You know how we find out he's the villain, Joe? He tells he, us I'm the yes, villain. He, he tells us he's the villain and that he hired the candy gang. Um, and that, uh, he takes him to his business headquarters, I guess. And that's when we meet, uh, Bunny the dog who, uh, is chasing ball balls. Which is going to be another reoccurring gag throughout uh, this this movie. They put him in this game. Simon says handcuffs, so he can't get out. I don't understand like that joke or whatever. So uh, at this point, they're they're 
talking back and forth and the dog attacks Bruce Willis's balls and he really likes it because he's been in, in jail for 10 years and he was close Joe he was close but the 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 dog stops so they decide they need him for another for a heist but he says no but they threaten uh Danny Aiello putting Danny Aiello's character in prison if he doesn't do it so he's like you're going to have to go and steal this thing and they have all these photos like of the uh of the that he needs to study and then there's a few homemade snapshots <laughs> mixed in joke of Richard Grant and uh Sandra Bernhardt which was another bit a little bit that I actually uh did like uh so he has to steal da vinci's sketchbook which is called the codex so uh they take he takes these redheaded twins i guess as gar as they have to watch them what are your names uh, egan ook yeah egan ook takes them to scout the vatican um so while he's there he sees this annoying little girl uh and anna is uh andy mcdowell's character is giving a tour of the Vatican. There's more shitty flirting. Um, Bruce Willis sets off the alarm. A cage drops with, he uses the little girl's pokey elephant, uh, stuffed animal. We find out there's smoke. So he sees all the, all the alarms triggered. What's going on? So she sneaks him out of there away from Ig and Ook through a door and takes him down to the Vatican, uh, mail. Railroad or whatever, where they have all they they transfer all this mail, mail uh, back and forth. There's more shitting, flirting. He sets up a date with her that night. Um, so he's like, I gotta go. At this point, there's a talking crucifix uh, that says she's she's got to go meet uh, somebody. So she goes and talks to a bishop. Um, we find out that she's an agent for the Vatican. Um, that this plot kind of like as it goes on, I'm like the between her and the bishop goes back and forth. There's a lot of stuff I'm not even going to touch on because it's kind of boring as as the movie goes on. Hudson Hawk is trying to call Danny Aiello, but he's literally across the street laughing it up with the Minervas. Um, so now we find out that he's in bed with them. The candy gang finds Bruce Willis and tells him he has to do the heist tonight. The timetable has been moved up and that he has this list of shit that he needs, like stamps and olive oil. And so they tell him to, to, to get his list. Uh, for some reason, David Crusoe as Kit Kat is dressed as Bruce Willis in this scene. And he's mimicking all the moves. I mean, he even has the sunglasses. So I don't know. I don't know where this comes from in the movie all of a sudden. But, you know, then we see it a, a, a little bit later. Uh, Butterfinger gives him the stamps that he needs. And now he's had his tooth knocked out by Bruce Willis. So Butterfinger looks absolutely great. Uh, and the, the plot is that Bruce Willis is going to mail himself to the Vatican so he can ride the train in to the mailroom. Then he sneaks up uh, to the to, to the room with the codex. While this is going on, the aforementioned guards, the Italian guards, who Matt thinks are the you know Italian version of the American guards, ha- my favorite thing have a thermos full of spaghetti. I knew you would appreciate that gag. And again, <laughs> not a gag in quotes, an actual gag. Right, so there's just a, just Italian people have thermoses full of spaghetti. That's a fact. Everybody knows that. You saw it in the documentary, Hudson Hawk. That's right. Um, 
So uh, he ends up stealing the codex through a, a series of events and trapping one of the guards in the cage. And while he's getting away, he ends up ruining the Pope's reception on his TV while he's watching the Italian dubbed Mr. Ed. Um, he gets away from the, the other guard and lands on the top of a bus and rides the bus around town until he falls off and lands in a chair that's at the date where he set up with Andy McDowell. And guess what they have, Joe? Can you guess what they have? Even more shitty flirting dialogue. Ugh. You, but didn't, what you say- didn't like the uh, love story in this film? No, no. I did not like the love story. And I'm starting to think, you know, Andy McDowell can't give herself over to Bruce Willis for some reason. I I don't know what it could possibly be, and I couldn't have figured this out at any point earlier in the movie if it turns out to be something. So while they're there, they're being watched by the candy gang. And Butterfinger is stealing scenes again, and he's there. He's there. Steak burger. He's like, French fries. This is France. You have to have French fries. And they're like, like Butterfinger, we're, we're in France. And there's more, like, they cut back to Bruce Willis and her and they're like going back and forth talking lovingly. And he's like, ah, to be in love in, in, in gay Paris. You know? And he's got the baguette ripped in half, slathered in butter. But it's not a baguette joke because they're in Italy. They're not in France. It's Italian bread. Right, and we know it wasn't a baguette because it wasn't jammed into a grocery bag sticking out. Yeah, he just rips it and he's eating a whole Italian a loaf of Italian bread. So I'm like, oh, God, Butterfinger, don't ever leave this movie, right? So Hudson Hawk and, and or, uh, Bruce Willis and Ann, Andy McDowell go back to her place and we discuss – why Eddie's called Hudson Hawk because where he's from, uh, Hawk is a, a uh, slang for a cold wind in winter. And he grew up in Hoboken, which is on the Hudson River. So his name is Joe? Bruce Hudson Willis. Hawk. Oh, what? Bruce I said Willis. Bruce Willis. Willis, right? So uh, she's playing hard to get. Um, for some reason, I just haven't figured it out, like I said. So she has an, she has an alert crucifix in her thing, which is, say, she's saying that means the, the, uh, Vatican has been robbed. So, uh, but who could have done it? And then at that point, the bag opens up that he, uh, Bruce Willis has and the codex falls out and she's all mad. She finds a codex. She's getting all mad. And then, Joe, they cut to the car outside, Joe. <laughs> and the candy gang is in the car. And now this is the joke, Joe. They're on stakeout. Me, the stakeout. That caught me so unawares. This is the joke that blindsided me the hardest. Now, before so, you say anything, I just want to say, mm-hmm. while we have discussed that this film apparently is just seemingly a bunch of random non sequiturs with a loose... Uh, mm-hmm. needlessly elaborate plot to attempt to tie it all together poorly at that fact. Mm-hmm. This is the one time when one of those random non sequiturs not only lands Todd, it like, mm-hmm. it gets tens from all the judges. So go ahead. Right. So, and this is the second joke, by the way, Joe. So somebody in the car says, what is going on in there? And Butterfinger responds with, 
want me to rape them? <laughs> and I'm like, holy fuck, right? So they're like, Butterfinger, just here, read your book. They hand him a book, and he starts reading out loud, Green Eggs and Ham. And I'm like, holy shit. And they're like, in your head, Butterfinger, in your head. And I'm to like, yourself, that, to yourself, to yourself. And it just goes, that scene just goes away, and that's the end of it. And I'm like, I have to admit, that's probably the most memorable scene in the movie for me. Aww. Because like I said, it's a punch in the gut when it, when it comes out of nowhere. So they cut back to inside the room. Um, Bruce Willis is going to drink a cappuccino. But guess what, Joe? It's drugs, so it's, he doesn't get to drink it. So he passes out. Uh, Butterfinger knocks down the door. Once again, Butterfinger, the star of this movie. Um, and takes Anna to Colburn. And Joe, this is for me. Like, all right, the movie was not great up to this point, but I was following it. This is where the movie goes completely off the rails. Oh. As plot wise, I'm like, up to this point, I can understand that's everything, everything's going on. At this point, I don't give a shit. At, at this point, a comedy, a stupid comedy becomes overly complicated where now Anna's working for the Vatican and she's working with James Coburn, but she doesn't know Coburn's working with the Minervas and the Minervas, the Mayflowers, the Mayflowers, the Mayflowers. I'm all over the place. The Mayflowers are going to, you know, are over. They have a plot, which I'm going to get to. So it gets overly complicated and everybody is working together, but nobody's working together. So, like, just at this point, I've checked out on the plot. Like, done. So, Colburn says, we're going to handle Bruce Willis. Kit Kat's going to take you back home. And Kit Kat is now dressed in the red dress that uh, Andy McDowell is wearing. So, he's got a wig and everything. And I'm like, okay, so that's the second joke with Kit Kat in an outfit that's just, I'm like, okay, uh, don't, don't, don't go. So they end up, she ends up seeing the car outside and realizes that, uh, that, that Minerva and, uh, Darwin are involved with Coburn. So she's realized she's had it all wrong about Hudson up to this point. And we find out that officially Anna's a nun. Andy McDowell's character is a nun. So that's why she hasn't, she hasn't been, you know, trying to have sex with, with, uh, Bruce Willis's character. And I didn't see that coming at all, Joe. At all. Ugh. So Coburn takes the, the codex off a of hawk to, to, to Darwin and Minerva. And they end up like, you know, finding out that the twins were useless, Ig and Ook. And at this point, I'm like, why even have these two people in the movie? Like they just killed them. I'm like, like I said, it's really going off the rails now. Two useless characters that come back. There's no point in having them. Um, but now they have the second piece of the star because it's in the, in the codex. Uh, so now they're for now, for some reason, they're at the Mayflower's office when Bruce Willis wakes up, uh, for no reason. Uh, and, and once again, overly complicated movie, the Mayflowers explain the plot that there's, that there's fucking gold that led into gold and, and Da Vinci created this machine and they're going to use it to make more gold and bring down the economy. 
And basically their, their plan is we're rich, make a lot of gold, make ourselves poor, question mark, rule the world. I, I honestly don't understand what the plot is other than maybe because these two characters are crazy. It's not supposed to make any sense, but like literally I rewound this a couple of times. I, I watched it up. I was like, I don't understand. I'm going to go back and, and watch it at home after I watch. And I still can't figure out what their plot is to take over the world. So their do you have any idea? Their plot is to cause mass chaos by flooding mm-hmm. the world's economy with so much gold that gold is effectively worthless. But that would make, that would make, I don't know how, how they stay, I don't know. Okay. To me, if it, if it sinks the economy, it makes them poor. No, but if you're the one who controls how much gold is out there, you can fix the economy by making all the gold, uh, stop, and therefore I guess you're in charge of every, you're, you're now in charge of the economy? No. Okay. I'm trying. Okay, cause it's just, so they say they need, uh, Bruce Willis to, to steal the last, piece of the star and it's in a helicopter in the Louvre um in in France not the one in Indiana or wherever the hell the joke is no the so, Louvre in Wisconsin <laughs> yes so uh Bruce Willis says he's not going to do it throw him in jail he just doesn't fucking care um so they're like well we know how to get around this and Danny Aiello is there and he confesses that he was in it from the beginning um and they're alone, and the the Mayflowers are out on the balcony letting them hash it out. They come flying out, fighting with a gun, shooting up the joint. So Aiello and Bruce Willis are fighting. They go off the balcony. They're rolling around. They're cursing. They're screaming. Aiello ends up getting shot. He's bleeding out. They get in an ambulance. They drive the enemy cops, and they drive up. An ambulance that shows up immediately in <laughs> 1991 Italy, where there's not a lot of cell phones or anything else like that around. Anyway. Right. So I'm broken up because Danny Aiello's character is dead now. We're never going to see him again. Um, the Mayflowers and Coburn have to go to Plan B, which is another thing that I'm going to discuss in a minute. So they, they, we find out that uh, Danny Aiello's character isn't dead. They faked it all somehow and worked all this out together with Anna uh, Andy McDowell's character off screen makes no, like no, not a lick of sense, extra complicated. As I say, it was ketchup, not blood. I'm like, okay. So then here's another one of the great jokes that are in this movie. It's like, all right, we, we're done here. We don't have to do anything else. Why do they leave all these rocks out here, Danielle? Because they're ruins, Bruce Willis. Ruins. That's a good word for them. Yucka, yucka, yucka. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Like, just. Just stop. So they go back to Anna's place. Hawk tries to sleep with uh, with Andy McDowell again, um, but it doesn't work out. So they wake up to Colburn and the candy gang has broken in. But Andy oh, McCall- and he asks to get another. Uh, he asks if he can get a cappuccino, but the machine is still preloaded from the night before with the poisonous foam. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he can't have his cappuccino. Keep that gag rolling, huh? Oh, yes, that gag. Can you hear my hair quotes? <laughs> 
wakes up to the Coburn and the Candy Gang. Uh, like I said, Andy McDonald's gone, but they paralyze Aiello and Bruce Willis with, uh, with a drug with Curari, but this Curari, Curari only paralyzes you from the neck down. And Danny Aiello wants to fight. His head against yours is a fair fight. And I'm like, oh my God. I will admit, at this point, Aiello is trying to choose scenery with the best of them in this movie, but it's not working. Not with um, Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt, like, just chomping it up in every right. scene that they're in. No right. subtlety, no, uh, right. <laughs> no anything with those two. Right. And then, all right, okay, so you have the chewing the scenery, and it's not even goofy the way Butterfinger is. So, like, Aiello and Bruce Willis's acting is somewhere in between no man's land of butterfingers acting and you know uh the mayflower so it's it's like no it just doesn't work so uh anna uh, andy mcdowell comes back and she gets drug and hawk uh bruce willis finds out that she's a nun and i like that uh, butterfingers making fun of bruce willis by 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 making a habit of it joe by oh. holding up a nun costume and going Hudson likes a nun. Hudson likes a nun. And I'm like, oh, Butterfinger, you saved this movie so much. Right? So uh, Coburn and Butterfinger leave with uh, Anna, Andy McDowell's character, and Snickers and AJ, that's short for Almond Joy Joe, not Mounds, um, decide to, you know, they're left there to kill him. So they pull out a bomb gun. And you think there was enough, this movie was enough of a bomb? But no. How dare you? <laughs> They've added a bomb gun, Joe. So they can make it an even bigger bomb. So he ends up, uh, Snickers ends up shooting it and he tells him that your good news is the poison's gonna wear off in two minutes. Uh, the bad news is that only leaves you five seconds to disarm the bomb. So he ends up shooting one into the wall and then he's like, I'll oh, do a second one for good measure. But Aiello's starting to, to move so he trips snickers and drops the gun the gun slides across the room bounces off the wall and shoots and sticks a bomb to his head and he's trying to get it off and uh almond joy is going to help them but she ends up because now they can move she's going to po uh, poison them again but they end up blowing the dart back down the <laughs> down the tube so she's uh drugged and she's like that's what she gets for drugging a nun um so Bruce Willis and I all get up and they're like, okay, we can, we can leave now because Snickers are going to have the biggest migraine in history. One of them jokes, Joe. And he's like, oh, it's the, the, the timer ran down. It must be a dud. It explodes. Aiello and Bruce Willis jump out the, the window, balcony, whatever. They're, they're fine, I guess. Um, so that means Almond Joy and Snickers are now dead in this movie. So we cut to Da Vinci's castle. Where, uh, the Mayflowers, Colburn, uh, are with Andy McDowell and she's doing some shitty drugged up dolphin bullshit that she's doing <laughs> where she's like, ah, oh, the dolphins, eh, eh, eh. and I'm like, oh my God. Another one who, if you're going to try to keep up with the Mayflowers, you got to do it well. And once again, not happening. So they need her because she's the expert, Joe, to put from the Vatican to put the star together to make the machine work. But either she's actually drugged or she's pretending it's never really established. Doesn't matter. Shitty writing, shitty plot. Um, so that's when Bruce Willis and Ayala decide to storm the castle. 
uh, they decide to leave. Uh, to, they use the bomb gun. Uh, they're going to do one of their songs because they have so much time to do it. Well, listen, which, it's two and a half minutes to save Anna, three and a half minutes to save the world. Six yep. oh oh, side by side. Dun, dun, dun. Come on, sing it with me, Don. <laughs> no, I'm good, thank you. Oh, okay. Uh, why should we sing it? They didn't. I mean, oh, they tried, but they didn't sing it. So, <laughs> right? So, at this point, uh, the bombs are the bombs are going off, and uh, the everybody's running around. So the Mayflowers are with with Andy McDowell's character. The, the uh, Colburn and Butterfinger run off. Well, wait, wait, wait. And I'm and I'm gonna and they tell them to, they leave Kit Kat there to guard the Mayflowers with their life. And he's dressed as a statue now with a spear. Wait, wait, hang on. Right. So Danny Aiello and Bruce Willis show up. He shoots off the first bomb way off in the distance. Mm-hmm. James Coburn says, did you hear something? <laughs> and then oh, you get a beat, one, two, three, and then another explosion goes off right next to where they are. And Butterfinger's like, I, I heard something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right so butterfinger the star of the movie right so um kit kat's gonna gonna guard andy mcdowell and the and the, the mayflowers and they run off and that's when the butler ends up killing the james bond butler kills kit kat with a double crossbow for a double cross no doesn't minerva shoot him because she's the one holding the crossbow Okay, I I I got. And he I says, he did it, and, and it's the did. butler who says a double cross, a double cross, and a double crossbow. And she goes, "Oh, whatever the hell your name is, you and your dry British wit." Yes. <laughs> <sighs> so now the fact that they're singing side by side, Joe, that's the gimmick. Their gimmick in the movie, and I will admit, I didn't want them to do it more because then I would have to hear Danny Aiello. And Bruce Willis sing, but it's something that should have been, if that's your gimmick, it should have been done more in the movie, if that makes any sense. I think it was really wasted. They did, they just did it t- once in the beginning of the movie and then like kind of half in the, the second half. Well, there's a couple parts during the course of the film. And again, this is the quirkity of Bruce Willis's character. Mm-hmm. And any time that in casual conversation or whatever conversation, whatever passes for conversation in this film, that someone says a song title, whether they intended to or not, he says the time of that song, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I, th- so, okay. So that's their way of continuing that gag in between the two times of them actually singing. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. Right. So now, but as Kit Kat's dying, I also have to forget, he hands uh, Andy McDowell a card that says, I always liked you. So I thought that was nice. Um, so while they're doing their bit, uh, Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello split up. They're singing side by side. Uh, the, the James Bond butler captures Danny Aiello with his Assassin's Creed knife. Um, while this is going on, James Coburn tells Butterfinger to go report to, to Minerva, Sandra Bernhardt, and he's okay, coach, and he opens up the door, he goes in, she shoots him with two arrows in the chest, he looks at her, she shoots him with two more, and he goes outside, and he's like, uh, I think 
you know, the, the, what, what does he say? He says, like, I think the, the Mayflowers are doing something shady. And then he dies, Joe. This is the saddest part of the movie. The sad, I'm like, it could have stopped here and roll credits because this is the end of the movie for me. Oh, I'm just, I'm just so sad. So at this point, uh, Andy McDowell gets free from the chair because, uh, Kit Kat uh, released one of the ropes and, she beats up uh, Sandra Bernhardt and gets away with three pieces of the star. Um, at this point, we Colburn and Hunt and Bruce Willis start a fight. Uh, the butler has taken this, and this is where the cuts start coming way too fast. Like they should have, they were trying to do all this. At, it was happening at one time, and it was very disjointed. It's like Andy McDowell scene, Bruce Willis scene, uh, Ayala scene, bang, 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 and they kept going back, and I'm like. All right, I, I guess. But Alan Grant gets in a fight with... Uh, Richard Alan, E. Grant. Richard E. Grant. I, I'm like you now. Um, Richard E. Grant gets in a fight with uh, Aiello in the in the limo. It's uh, The butler gets shot in the neck during the fight, but he's still alive. So the car starts driving off. Bruce Willis and Coburn are having a Three Stooges fight on the roof. Um, and Coburn's going to finish him off with a big kick. But... Bruce Willis has dropped his hat, so he ducks for it, and Coburn flies off the castle and lands on the hood of the limo as it's driving. Uh, Richard E. Grant says, I don't need the car anymore, so they jump out and lock the doors, and Aiello's stuck in the back seat with Coburn on the hood, and the butler shoots the, the bomb gun into the back of the limo, and it drives off the cliff, and Aiello yells, no. Uh, th- this made me giggle a little bit. Coburn's last words are, my pension! And, and then the car goes off the cliff, blows up. Danny Aiello's dead. Sl- uh, single tear rolls down my face. Um, so Bruce Willis is mad. He swings off the roof to avenge Danny Aiello's character, gets in a fight with Richard Grant, gets knocked out, and wakes up. And the Mayflowers are there with the butler and says, here, you have to build the star. It's, we've Try to do it all night. We can't figure it out. And once again, in the great writing that it is, Andy McDowell is the expert. Bruce Willis goes, yeah, me, the common everyday thief. I know how to put that together. I, I, give me that. Puts together, you're all good. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, the, the petty thief. We couldn't get the expert to do it. The petty thief must know. So they just put it in the machine, and they end up changing lead to gold, but Bruce Willis mentions, what if I put that together wrong? She's like, it would be bad. He's like, if I left this little piece out, she's like, it's going to be bad. So the machine explodes, covers Sandra Bernhardt in, in molten metal, whatever. I don't know if it's lead, gold, or bronze. doesn't matter. She ends up dies that way. Uh, Richard E. Grant got his name right for the last scene. Um, he ends up getting electrocuted. Bruce Willis has to fight the James Bond butler. Um, he has the two knives in his sleeves. They fight for a while. Andy McDowell uh, is hurting him more than helping yeah, him. Right, attempting to help and shoots him twice. Right. So he's like, stop fucking helping me. Then he, Bruce Willis ends up using the, the two knives to his advantage and sticks him in the door like crisscrossed in front of his neck, slams the door, cuts his head off, and then Bruce Willis hits him with the zinger, Joe. Well, it looks like you won't be going to that hat convention in July. 
like, oh my god. And Joe loves this movie, and he hates the jokes I do. <laughs> You're not a professional like Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello. Oh my god. So, um, then as they're leaving, Bunny the dog shows up. Uh, and attacks them, and Bruce Willis is like, it was my turn, you take the dog, I figure you can handle it, Andy McDowell. Andy just gets mauled by this mini terrier. And so Bruce has to save her with the tennis ball machine that was early in the movie that I didn't mention. And she, he's like, bunny, ball, ball. And he shoots the dog with the tennis ball out the window in like this Muppet-esque flip uh, through the window, killing the dog. Um, so now the whole castle is exploding. So Andy McDowell and Bruce Willis ride out the explosion on the glider from the beginning of the movie, Joe. It's like poetry. It rhymes. They glide down into this tiny Italian city. He asked Andy McDowell if she'll play Nintendo with them. Um, she says yes. They go to this little like cafe and they wish that. Danny Aiello couldn't be there. Danny Aiello rides in on a burrow. And this time the guy in a donkey isn't just a guy in a donkey. It's Danny Aiello. It's, it rhymes, Joe. It rhymes. So he's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> you know, he's doing the joke from back in the bar. Sprinkler and, uh, system in the uh in the thing. Can you fucking believe it? Airbags. Can you fucking believe it? Yeah, I, I can believe it. That's that's gotta be what it is. Bruce Willis goes, and Andy McDowell's like, "Shut up and drip, drink your cappuccino," and Bruce Willis drinks his cappuccino. And scene: the narrator says, "The world is saved." Bruce Willis gets his cappuccino. Bada bang, bada boom. Credits roll. My life is much better because I've just seen the best part of the movie, the end part where it's over. Ugh, so, I'm Todd, tired. I take it you didn't enjoy Hudson Hawk. No, I did not enjoy Hudson oh. Hawk. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It tried to be too many things. Okay, yes, absolutely. It, it tried to be a James Bond movie. It tried to be a Three Stooges movie. It tried to be like Bing Crosby and, and, and uh, Bob Hope. It tried to be... Blues Brothers. It try, and it just fucking. It tries to be a musical. It tries to be a romantic comedy. Comedy. It it's tries like, to be an action adventure, like Indiana Jonesy type thing. You know. Right. It tries to be everything. You know what it turns out to be, Joe? Nothing. Nothing. It turns out to be none of them. Not a thing. And like I said, the the three main stars, ILO, Andy McDowell, and Bruce Willis, they pale. Comp- like I said, they try. They try to do, like, the Three Stooges gimmicky, like, jokes and stuff. They can't sell it, and they're not keeping up with the Candy Gang and the Mayflowers. So, like, your, 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 your main people aren't, you're, aren't drawing my eye. So, in the end, I'm like, this movie is a clusterfuck, too many things, an overcomplicated plot for a comedy. Like, I need a goddamn, you know, program to figure out who all the players are and what's going on. In the end, I'm like, this movie gets a bad rap, and it deserves the bad rap. It really does. Especially when Bruce Willis had The Last Boy Scout come out the same year. A great movie with Bruce Willis. And I think that one, if you, I, I have fond memories of that one as well. And I think if we revisit uh, Last Boy Scout, I think you're clouded because there's football in it. 
there's football? Mm-hmm. Football now, in the groin had football in the groin. Now, granted, there's great lines in there where he asked, like when he asks Damon Wayans how much he paid for those pants. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, $300. He goes, $300 for a pair of pants. Was there, like, a TV in them or something? <laughs> that is a line that me and my brother Jim still say to each other to this day. Anytime See, no, we overhear people talking about an exorbitant fee that they paid for anything, we always mm-hmm. say, oh, that's a lot of money. Was there a TV in it? <laughs> and and like I said, there's 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 little jokes in there that and and, and Hudson Hawk said like you have to talk with Matt. Like he believes that there's like he actually said during the movie, like when they're when they're uh, when the Mario brothers are in the ambulance with Bruce Willis and they had blown up the auctioneer and they're like, oh, the auctioneer should be landing at LaGuardia any minute because he exploded. Uh, right. J- joke and matt's like i think that's an in joke because bruce willis had just done die hard 2 which was at LaGuardia, <laughs> and i'm like myself matt and joe have to get together and watch this movie okay and just compare notes so i'm gonna compare notes we're gonna talk about some of the research that i did for this movie so mm-hmm. the original- oh, this, is this really how long the after dark has been uh no we we, we bullshitted for like 15 minutes up front we did one that was almost two hours long. Was that on Bronco Billy because it was so good? No, I think it was on something else. It might have been on Body Slave, a much better film. <laughs> okay, so the the advertising for this movie, the trailer, everything for this movie, hyped this movie up as an action-adventure movie. No mm-hmm. comedy. You could track it down online. Go watch the original theatrical trailer for this movie. It's all action, right? However, they severely downplayed the humor aspect of this movie. So right off the bat, you're advertising one thing with Bruce Willis and you deliver something completely different. Now, whose mm-hmm. fault is this? It's Bruce Willis's fault. As you mentioned at the top of the of the episode here, he was at the height of his powers, right? Mm-hmm. Just off Die Hard 2, he had a pay-for-play gimmick, first look, whatever, at Columbia TriStar where it's like, you bring us a script and we'll make it, Okay. Uh, this script, quote-unquote, was him and one of his drinking buddies from before he got famous, where Bruce Willis was a bartender at a bar, this guy was like the club lounge singer at the bar, Bruce Willis one time got up to noodle on stage with him with his harmonica, they hit it off as friends, and in their drunken, allegedly coked-up stupors, they would tell stories about the Hudson Hawk. And they said, one day when we're famous, we're going to come back and do something with this. And this is what they did, right? Mm. Okay, so, uh, again, you mentioned it, needlessly elaborate. It's a movie that has no identity. It has no idea what it wants to be, and it's all over the place. You could have saved so much of this movie by cutting out. We, I've, I've said before how needless this swearing in Deadpool is. Jesus fucking Christ. They say fuck in this movie so many times. It's like Pulp Fiction was like, well, we got to beat how many times they say fucking Hudson Hawk when Pulp Fiction came out, you know? Mm-hmm. You you could get rid of all that dialogue from this movie. You could have put this out as a PG-13 thing, advertise it correctly as an action comedy, and you might have actually made some money with this thing. Because no. this was back in the day where R-rated movies did not make money. I don't think you would. I don't, you could have did all that, and this still would have been a shitty movie. Okay. There's things that you could trim up. 
There's ways that you can make the plot a little less elaborate, needlessly elaborate. You could clear up what the Mayflower's plan actually is. Todd, as you mentioned, of course, um, you know, the gimmick with the songs, which I love, where, you know, any anytime anybody says the title of a song, whether they mean to or not, Bruce Willis says how long the song is, even though it's done for the effect of the movie. None of the songs are actually the running time that he says they are. So, again, <laughs> you've got factual errors that wouldn't stand up in 2018 that barely stood up in two, 1991. But the other part of this movie was needlessly graphic violence as well. Two people are shown exploding. Another person gets those syringes in the head. 22 people are killed in this film. People's heads are cut off. This movie is all over the fucking place. Right. Like I said, it doesn't bother me that people died graphically, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's like you said, there. No, it doesn't. In a romantic comedy. Like, right. As a, as a person who was excited to see pieces this week, which has mm-hmm. a bunch of unintentional comedy in that film, when you have jokes and goofing around and then you have decapitations and people blowing up literally seconds apart, it's such a tonal shift, it's jarring to the viewer. Mm-hmm. All of this being said, while last week when I was getting you ready for this 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 movie, I may have tried to downplay it a little bit. I enjoyed watching this movie again, Todd, for as terrible as it is. It was a lovely walk down memory lane. Oh, my God. Like, and uh, I don't know what to say. Like I said, I downplayed it a little bit because I was watching with Matt. Right. Uh, he invited me into his lovely home, and I didn't want to, like, just destroy it in front of him. But like I said, when I, wa- I walked out of it, I watched a little bit of it again to figure a couple of things out at the house on my own. And I'm just... Uh, no, like you said, it's all over the place. And if, if, like, like ILO trying to pull off some of the gags, like when they're, when, like when they're paralyzed from the neck down and they're trying to pull off gags with just their heads and like their voices, I'm like, you're not strong enough to do this. You're not. Like, if this had been, I'm trying to figure out like who would have, like, who, who would have been perfect for, Hudson Hawk and five counts like roles. I don't know at the, at the time I was trying to figure it out, but just like 91, like not Arnold's. I don't think Arnold Schwarzenegger would have been good. Like I grew up on the, on the Hudson liver and Hoboken as a child. (laughs) No, like it just doesn't work. But I, 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 I don't know. I honestly don't. I think it would be easier to find Aiello's character than it would be Bruce Willis's. Okay, so... Oh, Tom Arnold! Tom Arnold would have been good for uh, ILO's character at the time. I don't think... Well, I don't think Tom, Tom Arnold... Tom Arnold! I don't think True in 1990 life. when this movie was made, Tom Arnold was big enough star to second a film, let alone with Bruce Willis. And I don't think Tom, uh, Tom Arnold was responsible enough to be alone hmm? in 1990. Tom Arnold was a bit of a loose cannon. What year was True Lies? 94? All right, because he, because that's the character. The '94 Tom Arnold right. is the is the is the what you want for uh, Hudson Hawk. So now you're doing time travel, and I don't want to touch that, right? Wibbly wobbly. So, uh, the the research that I did for this movie, okay? Right. Go ahead. So Richard E. Grant wrote a book uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, 
each chapter of the book was devoted to a movie that he was in. <laughs> and he's been in dozens of movies, right? Right. Uh, now, granted, the book is long out of print. And I wasn't going to spend the $54 to purchase the book, <laughs> but I was able to come upon the Hudson Hawk chapter of the book online. Okay. okay. He says how filming was a disaster. Bruce Willis was constantly fighting with the director. Production went way over schedule because Bruce Willis was constantly ad-libbing and everyone just had to kind of play along because Bruce Willis was like the biggest star by far in this film. Um, and no one was happy with the way the movie turned out. Not even Bruce, like it, only Bruce Willis. Like when the movie was done, Bruce Willis was like, we've got a hit on our hands, guys. And everyone <laughs> else knew we've all made a terrible mistake. <laughs> now, I don't know when it came out. Um, I'm going to guess that it may have been in conjunction with a 25th anniversary release of this film. But Robert Kraft, not the owner of the uh, New England Patriots, but the aforementioned songwriter friend of Bruce Willis that they both met when they were nobodies and they said, hey, this Hudson Hawk thing that we're noodling on about, we're going to make it into a movie one day. It's a half hour conversation with them talking mm -hmm. about the making of Hudson Hawk. And when I say talking about the making of Hudson Hawk, Todd... The first five minutes of this half-hour conversation is them noodling around on the piano and harmonica and talking about how nobody does brunch anymore. <laughs> then then we get into some discussion of how the germ of the idea uh, came up and how uh, Bruce Willis's concept for this movie was James Bond before he was James Bond. Oh, the hip Hudson... Uh, born on in Hoboken, James Bond? Right. Uh, then there was a whole, like, before the Da Vinci stuff came in, there was a whole thing that, like, Hudson Hawk was going to have to steal a heart, and then that was going to play into the love story aspect of it. But the end of the interview, Todd, is where we get into quite some of the most delusional crap you will ever hear in your entire life, okay? Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, Bruce Willis says... That this movie was ahead of its time. People like, just didn't get it. Just they, like uh, Last Action Hero. Right. They didn't get what they were trying to do. And people targeted this movie and gave it bad reviews even before it came out to punish Bruce Willis for how much they disliked his other movies. Right, right. Now, Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm going to go into Ugh. Bruce Willis's filmography uh, on Rotten Indiba. Tomatoes, okay? Mm-hmm. So, again, there's a little bit of... Uh, okay, so he's in... The, his first real starring role is Die Hard, right? Right. Great movie. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. The next movie he does is a movie called In Country. I have no idea what that is, but it has a 70%, which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? Okay. Next movie is Look Who's Talking. Now, he's only a voice in that movie, and it's a 59%. But that was a hit. Okay, it was a hit, made money, but it's, again, poorly rated. But let's just say, how does that work? Because I, I see that at the time 
Look Who's Talking doesn't stand the test of time, where you mm-hmm. can rate that movie now. Mm-hmm. Where at the time, you know, that got money, so I don't know how like, the word of mouth was in 1980, whatever, for Look Who's Talking. Okay. Do you know what I'm trying to say, though? Yes, I do, Todd. Okay, go ahead. Next movie he does is Die Hard 2. And that has a not- 70% rating as well on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, certified fresh. Decent movie, not okay. his best. So we've got four movies. Die Hard, 93. In Country, Die Hard 2, both at 70%. Luke Who's Talking, 59%. Not garbage, but you're, three out of three out of his first four movies are fresh, if not certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's go through the rest of his film overall, Todd, okay? Right. So again, and again, I'm not. I'll give you a pass on Look Who's Talking because he's only a voice in that movie, right? Right. It's a it's it's a movie that's hat is hung on the performances of Kirstie Alley and John Travolta. Then we have Look Who's Talking Two. Right. That is a fourteen percent. Then we have Bonfire of the Vanities, a high hyped up profile movie that has Bruce Willis in it, has Melanie Griffith in it, uh, it's got Tom Hanks in it, huge cast, based on a best-selling novel, that's 16%, Todd. That was garbage, I remember being. Okay. Next movie is Hudson Hawk. That's the one they punished him for. That's the one they punished him for. Not the two previous ones that are in the teens, okay? Then we get... Wait a minute, do you know why he's he's that way? Because it's the one he had the most Exactly. But let's keep going, Todd. Alright. Billy Bathgate, I don't know what that is, that has a 45%. The aforementioned Last Boy Scout, that's got a 46%. Death Becomes Her, uh, which has a 56%. I like that. Striking Distance, which has a 14%. The movie North, where he's the narrator, again, North, I'll give you a pass because it's only his voice, that has a 14%. The Color of Night, which has a 22%. Now, Todd, <laughs> were the were the people, were the, the critics now punishing Bruce Willis in his next one, two, three, four, five, six movies because of Hudson Hawk? Or was it residual backlash for the three other movies that he did that were positively rated? Or is it just that Hudson Hawk is not a good movie? I think it might be Hudson Hawk is just not a good movie. Okay. I admit it's not a good movie, but I still admit to liking it. The last bit of the conversation with him talking about the movie, he mentions, of course, the critics were punishing him and gave this movie a bad review even before they saw it. But it doesn't matter because in the end, the film has been profitable. Hmm. I'm gonna put a pin. For in, him. I'm gonna put a pin in that for just a second, okay? Right. As we discussed last week, Todd, seventy million dollar budget. To date, its worldwide gross is seventeen million dollars. Right. Uh, now, keep in does mind, that mean- Bruce Willis says in this thing that was recorded for distribution for other people to watch and listen to, says the movie has since made a profit. He then says. I've gotten checks, and then he just kind of looks off camera and mutters to himself. <laughs> as, it's as there was that moment. I'm defending this movie. How far can I take this lie? Oh no, wait! If I say that I'm being paid for this movie, they could find out, like I don't know, by box office receipts or my tax returns, or to see how much money I'm getting for this fucking piece of garbage. 
Well, does he mean the movie was profitable? Dot, 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 under my breath for me, Bruce Willis. Well, again, I'm sure that he was paid handsomely. He got a lump sum for his writing credit and his acting credit. But to and say his... that this movie is, the movie is profitable, he begins to say that I still get checks and then he just stops. Cause he knows he can't even lie that hard. It's like Emo Phillips' checks from, uh, UHF. Mm-hmm. You ever see that bit where he's like, yeah, I still get residuals. He brings it up. It's like, you know, 18 cents. It's like a check. But I don't know. It's a crappy movie. I just want to say something about Richard E. Grant, not Alan Grant, um, the actor. He was a alternate universe doctor in Doctor Who. What? Okay. Now, you're going to like this. When the eighth doctor came around with uh, What's-His-Face as uh, the master, your favorite character in Doctor Who? Oh, Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. That that stopped Doctor Who for a while. So it was years before it came back to TV. So they decided that they were going to keep it going with web stuff. And it was Flash animation (laughs) that they were doing. So he played the ninth doctor in The Scream of the Shalka. Great title for an episode, by the way. So they did that, but then while that was going on, they were gonna like keep keep doing it. That's when they brought the the TV show back, uh, and then also in there, uh, he it's it's just I think he was part of a Curse of the Fatal Death, which was a parody of it. So he's done a lot of Doctor Who stuff, and he was a villain in one of the modern episodes too. So he's he's entrenched in Doctor Who stuff. So seeing him a la slash acting like what I not acting like, but like I said, I think he could have honed his craft into a good Joker role. Um he'll always have a soft spot in my heart because he's involved in Doctor Who. And I know that makes it he makes him even better for you now. No. No? Uh but I will say this looking at the other scores of uh Rotten Tomatoes of Bruce Willis movies Right. Uh, outside of Pulp Fiction and Looper. Looper's really good. Right. Uh, he's been in mostly garbage that makes no money. Right. He's living off, he's living off, uh, Die Hard. He lived off Die Hard for years and then he tripped over himself into, uh, into, uh, Pulp Fiction and that's right. carried him the rest of the way. I mean, Jesus Christ, like, do we have to say how, I mean, I think we've discussed a few times here and at the shop about how good Pulp Fiction is. Yeah, and that, so. that like, revitalized people's careers, you know? Right, hell, that's that revitalized John Travolta's career, too. Yeah. Both of them were in the Look Who's Talking franchise, and uh, uh, Tarantino's like, those are the two guys I want for this movie. Can we get Kirstie Alley to play the Uma Thurman role? That's the, he tried. Will she, she let was... me see her feet? No, sorry, we'll have to go with someone else. Oh boy, <laughs> I get that reference. It's, it's not as subtle as you think. So we what? walk away from this both with a, uh, better respect for not only the film career of Bruce Willis, but also <laughs> for the masterpiece that is Hudson Hawk. Oh yes, this is officially the worst movie on on this list, on our so far list. The worst movie. I will begrudgingly give it to you, but it still did not change my enjoyment of watching the film. 
So this is officially worse than Body Slam, then? Hmm. No. Which is the second worst film on this on our lists? Body Slam. No, the, Body Slam's worse than this. See, I'm going to go it's not for what Body Slam was. Mm-hmm. Where this was what it was supposed to be. Ter- we got this. You know what I'm saying? Like, lower bar, lower expectations. Sure. And so this is the worst movie. Like, all the talent that's in this movie. Sandra Bernhardt, Butterfinger. All the talent, talent, comma, Sandra Bernhardt. (laughs) Oh. So, so yeah. So I'm going to go with this is worse than Body Slam. And then Body Slam is the second worst movie on our list. I'm glad we can agree on that. Okay, let's move on. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to uh, episode, was it 197 of Longbox Heroes After Dark? Yep, we're closing it on 200. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, 200 will be the announcement of what your movie will be, right? If I'm looking at the yeah. schedule correctly. I have to, I have to check the, the calendar, but I'll take your word for it. Right. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you all here next week.